Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Tracy Ray from the employment law firm of Baron Lehman. Tracy says that OPB sponsorship is a great way to support the community and connect with Baron Liebman's clients. This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. Some U.S. cities like San Francisco, Miami, Pittsburgh are contending with the rollout of self-driving cars and other autonomous vehicles on their roads. Others are still considering how to approach AVs and whether they're a good fit for their communities. A new guide from the University of Oregon's Urbanism Next Center aims to help leaders navigate these challenges. Nico Larco is a professor of architecture and urban design at the University of Oregon and the director of the center. He joins us once again with more details on what cities should be thinking about as autonomous vehicles become more common. Nico, welcome back. Thanks so much. So great to be here. We last talked with you about autonomous vehicles a lifetime ago, seven years ago. How has the AV landscape changed in those seven years? A lot has happened. And uh, and if you would have asked me last year, I would have a totally different answer. 2023, so the, the whole of 2023 was a completely crazy year for the uh, development of AVs and the rollout of AVs. Um, I remember, so last time we talked to you, it was a long time ago. In 2015, there was an article that uh, that had come out that where someone had talked to the top 10, 11 car manufacturers in the world, and 10 of them had said that they would have AVs on the road by 2023. Uh, we're in 2024, and we're still not there. So you can, you can see there was a, a big difference in what was projected and what's happened. Well, there but have been really- some on, on the road, but, but I guess the idea was that they would be super common and that they would be replacing them delivery and, vans right, or, or, yes, or, or yes. passenger cars, right? Exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, so they would, they would be widespread, you know, and, and some of the projections were, you know, how many millions of cars would there be on the road would be the, was the question. Uh, that has not come to pass. AV uh, uh, rollout has gone a lot slower uh, than many anticipated. It turns out that the, the technology is pretty hard to make work well. Um, but there's been a lot of advancement, and uh, you know, in, in 2017, we were still mostly thinking about uh, things like uh, level three autonomous vehicles. These are cars where there's someone in the front seat at the driver's seat waiting at the you know at moments notice to take over the wheel because the the vehicle is seeing something they don't understand or can't really uh, um, safely function through. Um, and since then, we've had a lot more development in what's called level four autonomous vehicles, and these are vehicles where you have nobody in the front seat. Um, at all. So there's there's no one who can recover or needs to recover from the car. And that kind of leads us to what's been happening in um, in San Francisco, which has been more or less the epicenter of all things AV for the last uh, year, more than a year. But um, in in late 2022 and early 2023, uh, uh, Waymo and Cruise, so Waymo is Google's autonomous vehicle arm, and Cruise is a, a company from um, owned by General Motors primarily. They started operations in uh, San Francisco with level four vehicles. These are vehicles that were had no one at all in the in the in the front seat. Um, and and these were operated largely as taxis, right? These were operated as exactly what, what what's often called robo taxis, right? So they're they're pretty much like taxis or like a you know like an Uber or like Lyft type service. You call it on your phone, it shows up, you get in, it takes you somewhere, you get out, and it goes on its way. Um, and they had been running level four, which in other words, so, and I actually r- r- rode in one of these uh, this last summer, where you call up the vehicle, it shows up with nobody in it at all, like no person in it. You get into the back seat, you close the door, it reminds you that you need to have your seatbelt on, uh, and then it takes off and takes you through the city and drops you off somewhere and uh, and then it goes on its way. Can I so, ask you, so you're, you know, you're, maybe you're the first person I've talked to who's experienced this. 
uh, I guess it's more common in San Francisco than it is in most of the world. What was it like? Um, at first, it's it's bizarre. I mean, it's 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 you know a little bit exciting and and kind of crazy to think that this car with nobody in it is uh, coming to pick me up, and you get into it and and drive around. Um, and you know there are kind of strange things that happen. So you know, for instance, uh, uh, I was in San Francisco driving the car or riding, I'd say, in the car. And uh, at some point, there was construction going on, and the vehicle kind of, you know, you wonder what it's going to do because it needs to cross the double yellow line to get around this thing, which any of us would know that we had to do. We kind of slow down and make sure there was no one coming on the other side, and then like take take over and you know keep on going. And uh, the vehicle kind of comes and stops, and you know, there's a sign. I don't remember exactly what it says, but something along the lines of, you know, it's connecting to the mothership back in uh, where where GM Cruise. Uh, uh, the technicians are, and um, then it's you know it's it's approved, and the thing crosses over the double line and and uh, keeps going in its merry way. You know, Do you think that it was it was communicating with a human being? Um, yes, uh, to my understanding, it communicates to a human being who doesn't tell it uh, you know go exactly here, but it says it uh, the, it does what's called breadcrumbs. It like puts a little point out in a place that it might not be comfortable going and says that it's okay to go in that direction. And then the car decides uh, to go and keeps going. Wow. But, Is it your understanding that that, that level of human... Um, intervention is a stopgap before things are even more autonomous. They, they just—they're not yet sophisticated enough to know how to cross that double yellow line, and eventually it would be. Or might there always be a human back at headquarters to to step in? Um, my my sense is that there will be a human for a good long while, but there will be less and less need to for inter- intervention. But eventually, as the goal is that these things can operate definitely in, in environments that are. Uh, at some point, much more uh, familiar, uh, and you know, you've seen a lot of like what's called edge cases, things that aren't really all that common, and, and they'd be able to operate mostly on their own. So that's definitely that's definitely the the, the direction that it's going. It seems um, like your ride was relatively smooth. Besides that, but but as folks who maybe have saw saw headlines over the last year, last six months, um, probably know Cruise in particular had um, a lot of of corporate tumult and 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 on-road violence uh, or you know or or fatalities what happened with cruise this year so um so as i was saying you know they they've been operating for the last year uh in san francisco and they ran into a lot of problems so some of the things were more minor minor like the cars just kind of stopping in the middle of traffic which you know didn't hurt anyone or anything just like created congestion problems it was a fender bender where it uh, it ran into a, a one of the a cruise vehicle ran into a bus that was stopped in front of it. Um, uh, one point, Waymo's vehicles were having trouble moving in really dense fog. So you know, kind of problems that were um, uh, that you would expect of a new technology trying in a complicated kind of environment trying to figure this out. Um, cruise then also had some problems where, for instance, a vehicle went into a, a block where a fire where people were fighting a fire. There were fire firefighters who were active. And the vehicle went into this area, not understanding that you're not supposed to go in there as we would normally understand, and actually ran over uh, hoses and had to like you know, the, the firefighters ended up having to break uh, the glass to get it to stop. But um, so th- there's been there's been a lot of um, uh, um, uh, of, of these kind of events that have been happening, 
Uh, and at the same time, there's a whole lot of pressure from the um, of, of the AB companies to really start uh, accelerating the rollout and making sure that they can make a profit here. Interest rates, as you know, have gone up, which has put a lot of pressure on making sure that uh, people can actually <laughs> make money off this. Uh, it's more expensive to not be making money. And so well, a big kind of move happened in, um, in on August 10th where uh, Waymo and Cruz were both pushing to allow San Francisco to um, let them uh, have vehicles out 24-7, charge for trips and no limit in where they were going within the city and no limit on their fleet sizes. So this was a, a big kind of push to to open up the market in for AVs in San Francisco. This was a highly, uh, it was a, I think there was six hours of hearings uh, that the that the California Public Utility Commission's had uh, um, about this, and and ended up uh, in a surprise actually to me ended up agreeing allowing uh, for these the, the vehicles to be able to uh, to to drive on the roads uh, as they'd been asked, and then what happened after that you almost couldn't have written it it was it was a series of uh, kind of um, uh, problems that the the vehicles ran into, so that happened on August 10th on August 11th the very next day. Uh, Ten vehicles stop in in one of the neighborhoods in San Francisco because a, a a concert had gone out, had had ended, and everyone got on their cell phones at the same time and jammed the sim- signals for the cell towers. And ten vehicles just stopped. Um, that was August 11th. Four days after that, on the 15th, a vehicle, a cruise vehicle, got stuck in uh, wet concrete while driving in San Francisco. Uh, two days after that, a cruise vehicle. <laughs> crashes into a uh, into a fire truck that's got its lights on and you know the the sirens going uh, and all that and you know causes problems um and then uh, something really serious happened uh, I wouldn't maybe those things aren't tremendously serious but this is a a, a, a more serious injury uh, on October 2nd um a cruise vehicle is going down the roads in San Francisco there's a vehicle next to it and a, a, a well, we call it legacy vehicles a normal car um, and that vehicle hits a pedestrian, which throws the pedestrian in front of the cruise vehicle. The cruise vehicle, unfortunately, runs over this woman and, and uh, uh, um, drags her a little bit on the on under its back wheel, stops, and then continues stops for a bit, and then continues on repositions itself, moving twenty feet further ahead with the woman underneath. So the the vehicle must have understood that something was wrong and then said, you know, I need to go to a safe location, some type thing, and then moves over. So drags this woman another 20 feet. So that was on October 2nd. Um, Just to to fast forward, and and after that, there was a a cascade of people basically being forced out of crews. And and that that story is not done yet. There are still a a lot more questions about even the the future of this particular company. But I want to zoom out a little bit because... The, the whole point of your report is that that whether cities like it or not in some ways, this technology is moving forward and, and you've, you're offering a kind of of roadmap or, or guidelines for, for how local leaders can and should be thinking about this technology and whether or not it's right for them. I, mm-hmm. I, and, and you note that there are bigger issues than purely safety, but, but to stick on safety for a second, how do we as humans make the most – rational decisions about it when it comes to, to driving, ones that take into account the the current situation, the totality of traffic violence that, that as human drivers, we perpetuate on ourselves, but is also clear-eyed about the, the current and maybe future limitations of this new technology. 
Well, safety is an enormous question. And, you know, I think the, the, the figure is something around like 40,000 people die every year on U.S. roads and another, you know, 100,000 plus are injured in, uh, in U.S. roads due to crashes. And so the idea of being able to um, do better is a tremendous uh, motivation, right, to, to have vehicles have have us move in a way that, that doesn't cause these things. Waymo argues is, that, that they have figured that out. I shouldn't say figured it out, but, but that in 7 million or so miles traveled in a handful of cities, they say their vehicles are safer, significantly safer than, than human drivers. Um, then again, that, that is the company crunching those numbers. How, have there been independently verified studies that can show the same thing? Um, Yes and no. So uh, there was a report that Cruz and Waymo put out together, which said, uh, as you as as you mentioned, said that you know they've done a ton. They're doing ton better than human drivers. There's a huge question in uh, how you're comparing their driving to other people's driving the same location, the same conditions, right? So, for instance, if I was to say driving down my local street, you know, I've never had an accident, so therefore I'm much safer than everyone else. Well, everyone else doesn't always drive down fairly safe local streets. So that's where some of the some of the issues come in. But it, it seems to me that they are moving towards a a safer um, alternative than uh, than individuals driving their own cars. Uh, I I think the question is how close they are right now, and maybe the question that you're asking as well is how close will they ever be to zero? Uh, you know, uh, kind of injuries based on on an AV driving. I'm not sure about that, but I, my sense is that we're getting closer and closer to that if, we are, if we're not there uh, yet. Closer and closer to being safer than a human driver if we're not there yet. One of the first questions that you say that city leaders should be asking when they're contemplating whether or not to, to work with autonomous vehicle companies is, do we have the same goals and desires? What are examples of potentially differing goals? Well, uh, the companies, obviously, they're private companies, and and they are looking for a profit. Which I don't say that in a in a in a negative way at all. I understand, that, you know, companies need to make profits. Um, you know, cities have uh, uh, have worked with a lot of companies that make profits, so that's not really a a, a, a detriment. But cities have a number of other goals, such as, for instance. Um, uh, Helping with uh, inequities, like improving access for for people generally, and then improving access, make sure that everyone has greater access to to locations. Um, uh, decarbonizing transportation, for instance, making sure that that uh, we're not creating more problems uh, in terms of uh, um, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, right? Um, making sure that we, uh, um, yeah. So I think equity, uh, safety, uh, environmental kind of issues are are absolute goals that most cities have. And uh, the question is, how does that? How well does that align with uh, what AVs are able to offer right now? Let's say that city leaders, ideally with input and blessing from residents, decide that that the the interests are aligned enough that they would like to work with AV companies to to have some say in into the operation of autonomous vehicles within city limits. How much legal authority? in general, do cities across the country have to actually regulate the vehicles that are on their roads as opposed to regulations at the federal or state levels? That, that is a great question. And the truth is that most cities have uh, fairly limited abilities to regulate um, uh, uh, these vehicles. So the, the um, 
Uh, most of the regulations right now happen are, are surround safety, and safety is really regulated mostly at the federal level to make sure that the vehicle is safe, for instance, the way traditionally we've done this, and at the state level, mostly issue, uh, dealing with operations. So, you know, our, when I buy a car, the federal government has said that's safe enough to be on the roads, and then when I go, when I want to drive that car, I need to go get a license from my state that says that I'm okay to be able to, to drive it. And so, as we've looked at, uh, as, as safety has been the primary consideration for uh, a regulation around AVs, most of that has happened at the state and federal level. Now, at the local level, we do have examples where um, uh, cities have more say in regulating vehicles. Uh, you know, obviously, the, the operating environment uh, you know, exists within cities and, you know, local traffic laws um, uh, uh, exist. Um, but we also have examples for, you know, like things like taxis, uh, fleets of vehicles that exist uh, within cities. And cities have been able to say, um, you know, we want to make sure our, our taxis, for instance, um, uh, uh, pick up any passenger, right? Like that they're not going to discriminate or that they're going to make sure that they serve all these different areas and they won't discriminate in those areas. Or even sometimes, uh, you know, uh, emissions kind of standards based on on those things. So it's possible uh, to have some uh, um, uh, say over how the deployment of vehicles are going to happen in your city. But generally, if the conversation is only about safety, that has happened mostly at the state and the federal level. Hmm. If you're just tuning in, we're talking right now about how cities can and should approach autonomous vehicles. Nico Larco is the director of the Urbanism Next Center at the University of Oregon. You mentioned taxis there and, and the kind of tech disruption that's happened in the last 10 or so years there. It does remind me that Cities like Portland and many other cities around the country have had enormous challenges in regulating companies like Uber when it comes to to uh, those kinds of ride-hailing app-based companies or places like Airbnb, you know, wealthy tech companies that at times in various ways have figured out ways around local regulations. Are there current examples of autonomous vehicle companies developing or even deploying their vehicles against the wishes of local governments? Um, well, I, I, against the wishes feels a little bit too strong. Uh, I, I don't know if cities uh, have, many cities have come out and said like, absolutely, we don't want these anywhere at all. I think um, maybe the way that they're deploying, uh, cities would uh, often are looking for more of a collaborative approach, sometimes more collaborative, sometimes less, but they would like to be working with uh, companies uh, to make sure that the deployment of the vehicles, as, I, as we mentioned before, really align with the goals of the community and finding ways that they're deployed that are that are helping get to uh, these, these outcomes that cities want to see. How might a city accomplish that, I mean, both in terms of of the leverage they have that, that they can bring to bear and, and the, the mechanisms that, that you're actually suggesting for how cities can be, maybe partner is too strong a word, but just some kind of a seat at the table. Well, actually, the, the things that have been happening in San Francisco are, I think, are helpful because, um, you know, uh, as I was mentioning before, cruises run into a lot of problems and they've actually, based on, on the things I was saying before, shut down operations completely. And that has been an enormous, like, uh, a shock, I will say, to the entire industry. And I think one of the messages that com has come out from here is that um, uh, a, lo a lot of the, the frustrations and a lot of the, the I'd say, the, the the acrimony that exists has existed between uh, cities and companies have created not a great environment for those companies. And so I think there's a real shift in attitude. Um, uh, Cruise has definitely uh, had a, a substantial shift. There's actually just articles out today talking about how, how the company's uh, changing 
uh, its stance. And Waymo as well has been, uh, you know, a, a, I'd say a better actor with cities and really is, has renewed interest in uh, working directly with cities on figuring out how to uh, make these things work. The, the AVs need to work in this operating environment, which is the city, right? Uh, an operating environment the city controls. So finding ways that the cities and the, these companies can work together, it's actually actually makes a whole lot of sense and, and can be helpful to both. If... 10 years ago or so, the uh, it, it was common for people who were thinking about the future of cities and the future of transportation to to see, to say that now in, in 2024, there would be, you know, tens of thousands or millions of these cars on the road. If, if that, that obviously hasn't come to pass, but what are those same future-oriented urbanists predicting for the future now? Um, you get a mix. I mean, some people are still very much, uh, I'd say, boosterish about uh, this technology that it's going to be, um, you know, everywhere uh, very soon. You know, we're just kind of hitting a few bumps in the road. I think others have uh, started to understand, and one of the, I'd say where we place ourselves is that um, this technology is probably going to exist. It's going to it's going to continue. It does have benefits, absolutely, but that maybe the use cases are not as widespread uh, as we'd originally uh, uh, thought it might be, or that the companies might have thought it would be. There might be more limited places that they make sense, both in terms of geography and in terms of the the kinds of trips or the kinds of vehicles that are going to be uh, used uh, that are going to be using the AV technology. And so, a more we'll say more humility in thinking about how quickly this will happen or um, or the extent of it, I think, is, is uh, um, has been in order and makes a lot more sense. Nico, thanks very much. Thank you so much. Uh, if, if I could also mention, uh, you know, the, the, the report that we put out has, uh, was done with the Knight Foundation and with Citify and really is a guide for cities to help them understand how it is that they might uh, be able to approach uh, these emerging technologies as, as they as they go as they arrive in their cities, and hopefully, it'll be helpful to people as they think about these topics. Nico Larco is a professor of architecture and urban design, and the director of the Urbanism Next Center at the University of Oregon. Tomorrow on the show, the American Red Cross is facing a blood shortage. The organization says that blood donations are at a 20-year low. We'll ask what this looks like in the Northwest, and we'll hear from a hospital that is being affected by the shortage. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on the NPR app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. Have a great day. Think Out Loud is supported by Steve and Jan Oliva, the Rosie Tucker Charitable Trust, Ray and Marilyn Johnson, and the Susan Hammer Fund of the Oregon Community Foundation.